What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Wrestling Podcast. This is a SmackDown and Raw edition on the IB Podcast Network. I'm your host, Keith Fleming. With me, as always, is my tag team partner extraordinaire, Ronnell Tinsley. Ronnell, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, Keith. How are you doing today, brother? Man, I cannot complain. Uh, before we start with SmackDown, I, I would like to uh, remind everyone that the IB Sports Podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts from the IB Network. We would also appreciate if you would rate and review this network. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on Twitter and Instagram or join the Facebook group that recently hit 4,000 members. The Facebook group has a premium membership that allows you to post without it being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for today or receive free gambling picks and much, much more. Uh, it was a really actually good week for Raw and SmackDown, which we haven't had, at least not with both shows. Uh, one of those that I can remember maybe through the entire quarantine coronavirus world. But SmackDown opened the show with the Money in the Bank briefcase holder, Otis, appearing on Miz TV. Miz spent most of the segment making fun of Otis. Uh, most of his jokes were about his weight and baby photos. I wasn't crazy about that. But eventually, Otis would challenge Miz and Morrison to a tag team match. It was pointed out his tag team partner, Tucker, was not at SmackDown. Miz and Morrison said he could pick any partner he liked. Throughout the show, Otis would be unsuccessful in trying to convince Sheamus to be his partner. And then he tried his luck with the monster among man, Braun Strowman, who we know is the champion and therefore the person most vulnerable uh, to Otis doing a cash-in. Uh, Strowman would eventually agree, and that match would close the show. I thought WWD did like a lot right in this segment uh, and, and storyline to be fair throughout the show. They need to build up Otis. They, they did that, you know, here, they got him on TV several times. He opened the show. He had backstage segments with Seamus and Braun and it's setting up an intriguing storyline with him and Braun, especially because Miz and Morrison in their promo, just when he had asked Braun Strowman said that even Braun was not dumb enough to accept to be tag team partners with the guy that has the briefcase. Were you impressed by this Otis segment that kind of was the, the center point of SmackDown? Yeah, very. Um, I very much liked how they did split him up. Um, of course, showing the action with him trying to find a partner and with the way that they're completely building it with Miz and Morrison, you know, planting those seeds of dissension in Braun's mind. And then Braun, of course, also being, wise enough and hip to the game like listen man I, i've been the money in the bank winner so you know i know what you're trying to pull but you know i'll think about it right. so i i completely i completely dug it all um and i loved how they just carried it through and of course you know we'll get to how it all turned out later on down the road so as announced last week the tournament for Sami Zayn's vacated intercontinental title began with elias facing off with corbin as we know, these two have a heated and complicated past, and this match was lengthy, playing into that animosity. Corbin dominated much of the match, even breaking the, Elias's guitar halfway through. Elias, upon seeing that, would snap, almost resulting in a disqualification. But then he would hit Corbin with a running knee, and in a really cool spot, caught him as he fell back into the ropes and turned it into a small package for the upset win. Now, Keith, you and I are both pretty high on Elias. Do you think this upset win could re lead to a run for him to the title? I did after first seeing it, because I'm not going to lie, it really surprised me that he defeated Corbin. I mean, when I saw that matchup, I was like, okay, so Corbin's going to advance in this. And honestly, Corbin would be kind of a perfect guy to start to get the IC belt over. Traditionally, mm -hmm. it seems like heels kind of make belts – more than faces. And I know that seems crazy, but uh, I was actually watching some of the Ruthless Aggression uh, documentary, and I, I forgot that, you know, JBL had the longest world title reign 
of anybody once they put the two belts together. They had that really cool black leather belt that, that was gold and black. Did, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he held it, and then John Cena would eventually take it and then also have a long run. And that really kind of built, uh, built the world championship back up. So I thought, you know, Corbin's going to win this. And then when Elias did, I was like, man, maybe they're going to, you know, really finally give Elias a push. He would be an interesting person to be, you know, the IC champ. But then, and we'll talk about it later, I heard Daniel Bryan's promo after he qualified, spoilers, over Drew Gulak. And I just, I don't see him, you know, winning this thing. I just, there's too many big names left. It would be really cool. I just don't see a path for him. Do you? No. I mean, like, all things considered, it would be quite difficult. If I'm not mistaken, he's on the bracket side where um... – Jeez, didn't they start the um, the the other half of them was last week, and I believe AJ Styles is on, in that side of the bracket. I think he's on that side. They haven't had it yet. Oh no, that's I believe right. that that's too. Right. Oh, that's right. That's this Friday, Shinsuke and AJ. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, uh, considering that both Shinsuke and AJ are on that side, it's hard to see Elias coming out of that draw, and then that you know with Daniel Bryan on the other side, it, it would be rough. But I would. Very much dig it. I would too. And I mean, I, I think we all agree Elias has a lot of talent. And But as I say, it, it's results matter in wrestling as much as what a lot of uh, stupid people on the internet uh, <laughs> that I argue would say. So uh, next up, we had probably my least favorite part of this episode of SmackDown. Dana Brooke defeated Naomi again. Uh, this was the second time, and I believe it was either consecutive weeks or it was two out of three weeks. It was a short match. Uh, both Naomi and the announcers were shocked by this. I, I just don't understand where they're going with this. A, Dana Brooke, I mean, I guess they're trying to build her up as an underdog because it was one thing for Naomi to be, you know, kind of shocked at it. It's another thing for the announcers to point that out. So I don't understand why you would point out that two times in a row she upset Naomi. My bigger issue is just Naomi is a former champion. She's been irrelevant for quite some time. I know she's very popular with wrestling fans and actually non-wrestling fans because she's just awesome when they see her hair and her outfits and, you know, her interests. I just can't figure out what they're doing with this feud. If you can call it that, do, do did you can you maybe explain this a little better to me? Do you understand what they're doing here? Uh, <laughs> no. And it's funny, I would I was starting to think like, you know, would she be better served on Raw? But even without Becky Lynch, there's still a pretty deep women's roster on that side. So I don't know what they're doing with her on SmackDown, quite honestly. Like you said, she is a former women's champion. And when she first came back, um right before the rumble. And after that performance in the Rumble, I thought something big was going to happen with Naomi. They would put her in some kind of decent storyline. And she's been reduced to jobber status in the women's division, which is totally unfair. Reminds me a lot of Ruby Riot on the Raw side. Who I know she was not a champion, but she was close to being a champion several times. And they just, like, forgot about her. And that's what it feels like with Naomi right now. Hmm. So moving on, Charlotte Flair, thanks to the new brand invitation rule, was on SmackDown. When she started her promo, of course, interrupted by Bailey and Sasha, Bailey reminded her about how she won her title by defeating her at last year's Money in the Bank pay-per-view, cashing in her briefcase only a little more than an hour after she won it. Flair immediately tried to drive a wedge between Bailey and Sasha, at one point even asking Sasha, what happened to you? We broke barriers with being the first women to main event a Raw and have a Hell in a Cell. Are you really okay with being a lackey? Bailey would step in, interrupt Flair, and then challenge her to a match, afterwards saying she was too selfish to understand a true friendship. Charlotte, after trying to address Sasha again, having to dismiss Bailey, and I completely love the way she just shoot her off. Yep ended the segment by asking Sasha if she was going to be her own woman or is she content with being an afterthought? Now, you've been pretty critical of the slow burn with Sasha and Bailey. What did you think of this set? You don't have to say pretty. I've been really critical 
of the uh, super slow mo burn between Sasha and Bailey. But even I will have to admit, this was an awesome segment. It makes so much sense to have another one of the four horsewomen, especially Charlotte, who honestly, no offense to Becky, I still think that Sasha and Charlotte's feud is the greatest women's feud in recent history because mm. they it went on for so long and they went back and forth and both kept getting over and they were the first to main event Raw and you know they were the first to have a hell in a cell and it was just a perfectly like produced promo segment because you had Charlotte come out there of course Bailey who is this you know just egotistical heel is going to come out because she doesn't like Charlotte being there having the spotlight she starts running her mouth Charlotte being you know Flair's daughter knows how to, you know, get under people's skin and just immediately is like, you know, can I talk to Sasha? Can you move out of the way? Which you're absolutely right. It was brilliant the way she like shoot her. She was like, no, no, to the side. I want to talk to her. Uh, and I'm excited about this, that, that you know, they're going to have their match Friday. And I think we're finally, finally going to really get some movement and this Sasha Bailey thing Friday. Now, if not, and they reverse again, oh my God, you're not even going to want to hear what I'm going to say on the next podcast, but they have gotten me back on track with this. I'm excited. And I think this is going to be really good. Totally. Um, When I was watching, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Let's pour some gasoline on this small little bit of smoke. Let's go. So I got totally excited and can't wait. And like you, will be ready to scream <laughs> and, you know, sling maybe a couple of expletives if they uh, pump the brakes on it. Especially again. Uh, moving on, and I normally don't even do promos and stuff like this because they're insignificant. This was not. The Forgotten Sons who I, I have been really interesting in the little that I've seen and learned about them. They cut a promo backstage. I just want to say what they said at the end of it. Cause I, I really, this is an interesting character. We served our country with honor, but we were not welcomed back. So now we are going to be welcoming others with closed fists. Like, do you ever remember a group that this is kind of their, you know, their niche or, or their character where, you know, they're technically good guys, right? That they, they, they're, they're, uh, you know, war veterans, people that served for the military, which is, you know, arguably the biggest sacrifice an American citizen can have. But they're saying that, you know, we weren't welcome back. And now we're basically going to just straight up destroy some dudes. I'm pretty fired up about this. Actually, so am I, because normally when uh, WWE does anything with anyone related to the military, it's always on the super patriotic side. And the fact that they're playing to, I'm sure, a great deal of our veterans who haven't been treated the greatest uh, upon serving our country, that they're using this angle, it's exciting. So, yeah, I'm kind of with that. You know, when they, I know that we had spoke a little something about, you know, throwing them right into the title picture when they first showed up on SmackDown. If they had done something like this beforehand, that would have built it a little better for me. But, yeah, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with these guys moving forward. So, like we had talked on earlier, uh, Daniel Bryan did face Drew Gulak in the Intercontinental title tournament with a fantastic match. All of the really good. Yeah, it really was. Like, they were showing good old classic Matt Tech technician <laughs> work. It was beautiful. Eventually, Daniel would win with a heel lock. Later on in the show, it was reported that Drew did not have his contract renewed. Brian, after the match, cuts a promo discussing how he wanted to bring prestige back to the Intercontinental title and how he never had a chance to regain it back because he had vacated it when he retired. Now, this sure sounds like the words of someone who's poised to win this tournament, don't you? Like I said... I was all on board thinking about, man, Elias might have this upset victory. And then Daniel Bryan went and said this. These are the words, especially for a star of Daniel Bryan's caliber. I I honestly find it hard to believe he's not going to win this tournament now. I can't believe they would let him play. 
I'm going to try to finally get my, you know, IC belt back that I had to give up, not lose because I had to retire because I thought I'd never wrestle again. And on top of that, he wants to bring prestige back to it. And he would be the perfect person for that because he could put on a fantastic match with a broom. This guy sure does seem like the favorite to win it. Yeah, totally. After he had dropped that promo, I had definitely looked like, oh, and the fact that we were just talking about, you know, prestige on almost any title, because I know every once in a while we touch on that because that's important to us. And especially the intercontinental title. Before we move on, Drew Gulak, I thought this was a perfect pairing for him. And we know Daniel Bryan, like not just in the wrestling, you know, world, but actually in the real world, thinks the world of this guy. He helps him train. I'm pretty sure he's one of the people that helped him prepare when he came back into the ring a few years ago. I really hope they sign him back and put him back with Daniel because that's who he is. You know, that that's I don't want to say his ceiling because I don't think he can get to Daniel Bryan, but you know, maybe a level below he can be, or the Daniel Bryan that first showed up in WWE who got over with the crowd and didn't really talk or do anything other than just be a great wrestler. I really hope they bring Drew back and and put him with him because I heard it was not a firing. It just his contract expired. They didn't resign him. So hopefully as soon as, you know, they start bringing in more, you know, revenue or whatever it is, they sign him back. Totally. Uh. The show ended with just honestly, and I know this is going to sound like hyperbole, but one of the best segments I've seen on WWE in forever. Like it was just done perfectly. The match was not what I'm talking about. It was okay. Braun Strowman and Otis ended up defeating Miz and Morrison. Uh, Strowman picked up the win with a power slam. It was after the match that just, I miss this kind of storytelling in WWE. So Strowman and Otis are celebrating. Strowman's got the bell. Otis has got the briefcase. Everybody's all smiles. Mandy Rose's music hits. Strowman and Otis go to look at her. The camera pans back, and you notice that Strowman is still looking at Mandy coming down the ring, but Otis is not. And he is slowly bringing the briefcase up over his shoulder, and almost even takes a step towards Braun, like, I'm going to knock this dude out and take my shot. But Braun turns around, sees it, calls him out on it. Otis, I love, played it off that, oh, I was just joking. And Otis is a silly enough character where I couldn't totally tell if Braun by the end had bought that. But I love that they're laying the seeds that Otis might turn heel and do something dastardly to get the title from Braun. And I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago that I think him and Mandy would make a great heel pairing. And it would be wonderful if we find out down the road, Mandy continues to try to basically plan these distractions to where Otis has an opportunity for it. Did you enjoy the segment as much as I did? I absolutely did. Um, you just love the way it was all sneakily done. Um, and, Everybody just played the part just so perfectly. The timing was great, and Otis just played it off wonderfully. And then Mandy came in, you know, finishing off the distraction, jumping into his arms. It's all good. Let's celebrate the win. (laughs) Nothing happened. And, yeah, and, you know, it did make me think of what you had said about them becoming a heel couple and how it could totally uh, slowly work. And, you know... I don't see Otis as uh, someone who's going to try to cash in anytime soon. So that'll give us a, hopefully a couple of months for something like that to develop. And I'd be all down for that. And I know people will probably say that, oh, of course you want, you know, the woman to be manipulating the man. But I think it would be great to have the story where Mandy Rose is trying to pull the strings and, you know, using Otis because she knows how much she loves him. And you could end up making both a huge heel out of Otis and then down the road, a huge face. You know, if he finally split with her, I just think that this was really well done. And again, they opened the show and closed it very similar to NXT last week. Like Bravo. We, we definitely will give them crap when they have some bad episodes. This was a really good episode of SmackDown and the ratings were up. I think they had like two and a half million, which was one of the bigger ones in the last month. Yeah. 
let's move on to Monday Night Raw, and it opened with Edge accepting Randy Orton's challenge from last week in a regular wrestling match. Ed said he was done with the games and ready to show uh, Randy what love for the business is all about. I am excited for this feud to continue. I told you that, but I hate the way they're billing this as the greatest wrestling match of all time. It's too much pressure, and it's too high of expectations, and it's ultimately going to lead to, and I'm going to play Nostradamus here. We'll put my Nostradamus hat on. That when this match happens, Twitter will be just going crazy with this match sucks. Greatest match ever, huh? This is supposed to be the best wrestling ever. Do you see what's going to happen if they keep building this up this way? Um, Nostradamus, I think you are right. (laughs) And it's a damn shame, too, because like these two, like we had uh, talked about with their previous promo, how they just completely was like, Charlie, you're not or we had spoke about Charlie not being necessary to try to interview between those two and just let them go, leave them with the mic. The fact that they added on top of that by billing it like that, I'm completely disappointed in, which is putting undue pressure on both of them to put on a really great match, which they could do at any given time. So that's the only part that I'm really kind of disappointed with when it comes to that. Oh, I think it's going to be a great match, but I think when you build, you know, build it up as the greatest wrestling match ever, people are going to shit on it. Absolutely, and trust me, I mean, you and I could probably name ten uh, wrestling <laughs> tacticians who can, yeah, <laughs> and then name twenty matches from those guys about how fantastic of a match they would put on over this. It's just terrible that they did that, and I, I'm just upset about that so Seth Rollins did explain his actions on snapping on Rey Mysterio last week calling it necessary and cathartic he then speaks directly to Rey when he said you will clearly see the blessings that I have bestowed upon you Humberto Carrillo would interrupt and then challenge Seth because you know Humberto is uh, Rey Mysterio is his idol so Naturally, he does that. Seth says, listen, I'm not dressed for work, but my disciple would surely accept that challenge. Murphy would then win a decent match with an assist from Rollins and a big running knee. The two men continued to beat down Humberto until Aleister Black came in to make the save. What did you think of this segment, basically with Humberto Carrillo coming to the... uh, to defend the honor of his idol. I, I like Humberto. I think, unfortunately, like a lot of guys at this point in their career, he's got a ton of upside. He can really go in the ring, but they've got to do a better job of making me care about him because he can't really talk yet. And he needs either a mouthpiece or a great story. And right now he has neither. But my big takeaway from this is I said a few weeks ago when Chris Jericho, you know, touted that he is the best wrestler in the world. And he felt like that for the first time in a decade. I love Chris Jericho, but I have to beg to disagree because Seth Rollins right now is just out of this world. Good. I loved his match against Drew McIntyre at the pay-per-view. We talked about that on the last podcast and his promo work, his mannerisms, Everything has been perfect lately, and he will top that later in this show, adding just more to just, I just, I can't get over how good this version of Seth Rollins is, and right now he is the all-around best wrestler in the world, because I'm talking promos, character, in the ring, everything, the dude is on fire. I can understand why you would say that, especially considering, you know, right before this all uh, happened, when Buddy comes to him, you catch him and he's just deep in thought. He kind of looked like last week's last week's set, except well put together. You know, he's still just kind of out of it. And then it was like the epiphany hit him. And it was like, disciple, come with me. We have work to do. So in as much as 
that kind of when you said him being the best in the world was kind of like because uh, I'm a I'm <laughs> you know how huge on Les Champion I am right now. You might you might be very right about that. Uh, so next we had Charlotte, who apparently just has a pass uh, to go wherever she wants, whenever she wants. I actually read a report last week that they are looking at her like a John Cena right now, and she may not have to abide by the four rule, and she's going to float, especially with uh, Becky being out, obviously, during the pregnancy, but she taunted Bailey about their match on Friday on SmackDown, and then she called out Ruby Riot. Uh, Ruby did not want to talk, but she was ready to fight. They would have a, a relatively short match. Ruby did get a good showing. She got in a lot of offense. I thought it was going to be a straight up just squash. Uh, it, it was not, you know, that, but she did eventually lose, and. I just can't figure out what they're doing with Ruby Riot. Maybe I'm too high on her. I thought out of all the, you know, non-four horse women, Asuka, you know, women that have came up recently, I thought she had as much promise as anybody because she really gets how to be a heel, like really does. And it was just, you know, what, two years ago that these faced off in a pay-per-view match that I thought Ruby might win that match. And she didn't, but it was such a good match. I thought that was going to be the springboard to making her more of a star. But again, I loved how Charlotte called out Bailey again. And I'm really excited for this match on Friday to see how that whole storyline with Sasha, you know, I guess works out or hopefully progresses. Do you like what they did here with Charlotte? Or do you think that they're wasting Ruby Riot and maybe they should have had somebody else face Charlotte in the spot? I don't know because I'm on I'm on both sides of the fence here. Um, one, I, I'm totally with you. I did think that Ruby Riot was going to be uh, a lot more, and I do feel bad that she's kind of lost in the shuffle right now. Conversely, um, I think of the match that she put on, and you know, with Charlotte doing the same thing with Liv Morgan, which honestly did more probably for Liv Morgan than it did for Ruby Riot. Right. But at least it reminded us about how tough of a, ch- of a woman, I almost said chick, how tough of a woman Riot <laughs> is. And I just hope that they do figure something out to give her something to do. Somebody's a taunt because when she is taunting someone, that's when she's at her absolute best, I feel. Maybe they're breaking her down to do a reboot with her character, which if that ends up being what they're doing, I'm fine with it. But do not turn her face. She is a great heel. You know, some people just are great as either a heel or a face. She is a wonderful heel and they need to let her, you know, be a heel. Totally. I totally agree with that. So Kyrie Sane puts on a celebration for Opta being the new women's champion. This was so awesome. Oh, my God. It was great. I mean, she even broke out a recorder. It was weird. And I totally loved it. Nia Jax would come in and interrupt, saying she would be the women's champion in no time. Asuka didn't take that lightly and then attacked Nia, knocking her out of the ring with her classic butt bump. Later in the night, Nia would attack Kyrie, who was uh, left on her own into some of the work crates. Asuka later found her and laid out Nia again. I love how absolutely strong they're making Asuka look. Is this the right first feud for Asuka putting her with Nia Jax? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. A, or first off, like, congrats to WWE to finally realizing Asuka's awesome because I really believe she's mostly being kind of herself turned up yes, to 11 yes, absolutely. right now. I, I love her, the way she's screaming in the – you know, her native tongue. I love the way she's dancing and, you know, her facial expressions. Because if you follow her on, like, Instagram or things like that, she's weird. And weird is okay. Like, most wrestling fans are weird. So we, we are. dig that kind of stuff. I, I loved the, the, the promo. I love the fact that Carrie was playing. I guess it was a record. I don't know. I, I had never seen one of those things before. I love that Asuka tweeted later 
like don't tell Carrie, but that was the worst uh, <laughs> celebration song she had ever heard. Uh, I mean, they're doing the right things. And then if you want to build Oscar, which I hope they are, let's get back to the Oscar that we had in NXT. Mm. That was mm. a monster monster. And if they do that, you can eventually have somebody take her down and you can hopefully elevate somebody in the process. And if that's what they're trying to do, I mean, who better than Nia Jax? Because I've told people, I think she's sometimes dangerous in the ring, but Nia Jax is a monster, monster of a woman. I mean, she is so, I've never seen a woman that big in wrestling that can move like her, her strength. And if Asuka takes her down, which quite frankly, she's dominated her throughout their entire career. I had no idea. They've had like 17 matches from NXT and then up on the main roster. And I don't think Nia Jax has won one of them. Uh, So... I hope they don't bring that up because then it's going to scare me that we might be getting a title change. But I do love this if this is, you know, Asuka's first win because it's going to build her character back up big time. I absolutely am with you there. And I am I was one who was disappointed that they took the SmackDown title off of her last uh, last year leading into Becky two belts. Um, I, I was so thrilled that Asuka had won the SmackDown title then, and the fact that they put it back on her now, letting her be the character she's being. I am so absolutely thrilled. And I know I'm saying that over and over, but I, I have no better phrase for that. Oscar's my girl. And like I called it beforehand, so happy. And I'm looking forward to them building her up. This Nia Jax uh, feud should do just that. Yeah, not to quote True Detective season one, but life is a circle. And it's very fitting that, you know, she won the belt from Becky only to then lose it so Becky could get it back along with the Raw belt. And then Becky, who had to give up the SmackDown belt, when she finally has to give up the Raw belt, there's Asuka. Life is a circle, man. Uh, Next up, this is getting weird, like really weird. About four weeks ago, me and my man Ron L started talking about how we were just disgusted with the way that they had treated Bobby Lashley. He was, I mean, honestly, one of their best guys they have on their roster, his look, his size, he can actually wrestle in the ring and they just been wasting him. Well, he was taking on our truth on raw earlier in the night, MVP backstage offered his services to Bobby and said he wanted to bring out an aggressive side in him, which again, we called this, uh, Bobby's really needed a mouthpiece since Leo. So I'm hoping that this is something that they're not just doing for a short period, but it's going to be, you know, a long-term plan. But lastly, obviously squashed our truth. That's, that's not a surprise. He finished him with a full Nelson, which was cool. I hadn't seen him finish a match with that, uh, at least not in a while. And then MVP was shown at the, you know, top of the ramp applauding, And then Lana was shown backstage throwing a temper tantrum. So I can only gather from this, and we'll talk about what happened at the end of the show in a minute, that Lashley is obviously moving towards MVP, and it looks like they're finally going to put to rest this Lana and Bobby Lashley story that has been honestly a flop with the exception of the views it gets on YouTube from the get-go yeah um that is god awful and if they're only relegated to maybe just that i'm totally fine with it very excited to see what's going on mvp coming in kicking some old school knowledge and kind of pushing him i love how he was like you know it's been 13 years since you've had a shot at the title just think about it not trying to not trying to start nothing I absolutely love how he just kept planting little seeds, you know, the last couple of weeks and what they did with them uh, tonight, what what they did with them on Monday night, I thought was absolutely spectacular. And I'm so excited for Bobby Lashley. Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss retain their tag team titles against the Iconics by disqualification. Peyton Royce showed a very mean streak that had her repeatedly throw Bliss into the turnbuckle, despite her not being a legal woman, causing the disqualification. After the match backstage, Billy Kay slapped Peyton, only to have them hug and make up later. Two questions. Are you liking the fact that they're starting to use uh, 
the disqualifications just a little more? And is this uh, bringing a potential hint of a split between the Iconics or just tweaking their characters to be a little more aggressive? The DQ thing I don't have a problem with right now. And I say that because they're using it predominantly because a wrestler is being so aggressive. And I think that's actually a smart way to build up, whether it be a heel turn or just a tweaking character. So I don't have a problem with that. Now, I don't like it when it's in title matches all Mm. the time. But in a case like this, I understood it. And for the Iconics, I hope it's a tease. Uh, and they're just, you know, maybe tweaking their gimmick a little bit, making them a little bit more serious because I I like these girls. I think they're good. I told you they kind of reminded me of Vicky Guerrero, but they can actually Mm. wrestle a little bit. And I can't see either one of them succeeding on their own. And if you break them up, I I just, it's probably not going to be good for them. So I hope they're just tweaking their their characters a little bit and they're going to continue to be a tag team. Yeah, um, I like, and just to add on before we move on, you're right. I couldn't see yeah. them as I couldn't see them as singles wrestlers either. Um, I was highly impressed these past two weeks with their tag team work. So don't break them up. And as much as I used to hate them, <laughs> and and they truly are, you know, best friends in real life too. So I'm sure they would be devastated if you know if they did. Uh, we saw, and again, I really like this in Raw the last couple of weeks, where they're continuing feuds, but they're actually like making the feuds evolve rather than what we get, you know, for it seems like a long time over the last two years, where it's just the same matches over and over and over again. And they had Shayna Blazer taking on Nat Natalia in a submissions match, a rematch, for, excuse me, from last week. This was a really good match, like. We talked about uh, Brian and Gulak. These girls had a great mm-hmm. match. Like for Natalia, the Hart family would be very proud of the wrestler she's become. Uh, she's fantastic. Obviously, Shayna is also very good. Uh, Natalia looked to have the match wrapped up. She actually got the sharpshooter on Baszler, but she would escape and then eventually put on the Kerfuda. Uh, How do you pronounce Kira, that? Kerfuda. Kerfuda. There you go. Clutch. And Natalia held on as long as she could, which I liked, but she did eventually tap. Kevin Owens was coming out for his Kevin Owens show. They were setting up, or excuse me, not Kevin Owens, but they were setting up the, the basically the stage and the ring for it. And Natalia destroyed the set in frustration. I Again, I said it last week. I'll say it again. I love what they're doing here. I don't know what they're going to do with Natalia, but it feels like they're building to something. And I could watch her and Shayna Russell a few more times. So I hope they keep doing. Oh yeah. And on top of that, they put Shayna back on a win streak. Look, uh, they've continued to have her look strong, even after everything that's happened after losing the title match, um, not winning the money in the bank, but she's still looking strong and yes, progressing it. You know, you go from a regular match to a submissions match, who knows what they may, uh, try to do for next week so they're doing a great build for both characters in this and i'm very much looking forward to seeing what's happening with natalia because i was actually not that i mean as a heart family fan absolutely but nat never really did much for me but the fact that there's seeming something that's about to happen i'm very excited about that so after all this kevin owens comes out Thanks, Nat, for uh, doing a little rearranging (laughs) and announces on the KO show that he was fully healthy, only to be interrupted by Zelina Vega and her crew. As he's interviewing them, I absolutely loved how he's going about it. Zelina's asking them, why are you interviewing me from the apron? He was like, oh, well, I was doing this to give you space. Also, the last few times I've been in the ring with more than one other person things have gone sideways so yeah i'm gonna stay right here oh and secondly i have another guest and he's returning and it's apollo cruz who comes down to the ring and just jumps on andrade leading to a tag team match with owens and cruz taking on andrade and garza with austin theory at ringside during the match austin theory jumped on the apron to provide a distraction but cruz threw 
through Garza into Fury, and then Owens and Cruz picked up the victory. After the match, Andrade and Garza would basically excommunicate uh, Austin Theory the good old-fashioned way. I like that. (laughs) Um, So were you excited about this match and how they're uh, building up? And are you excited about the return of Apollo Crews? Man, I'm so complicated. And let me put it this way. I'm excited Kevin Owens is back. Uh, I I hated that he, you know, had been gone since a really good WrestleMania match. I'm glad Apollo Crews is coming back. He's going to get a rematch for the U.S. title next week against Andrade. That's great. I'm glad that, you know, it looks like Theory is going to get, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but a, a big-time push from what happened, uh, and it's going to build his character. But this was just too much. It was too much. I don't know why you have two returning you know, guys in the same segment, uh, you know, Teddy Long, would be proud how they just threw the tag team, you know, together out of nowhere. And it just, to me, it was too convoluted. I didn't have anything, you know, a problem with the match. And again, ultimately with what happened with them, you know, basically breaking up with, you know, theory, kicking him out of the group. I'm okay with it, but it, it just, to me, it was, it was just too much. Yeah. They did throw a lot in there only to add on at the end uh, with the announcement that Apollo Cruz will be facing Andrade for the U S title next. Now they, you're right. They could have done it, played it another way. Um, they should have had something better to do with Kevin Owens. Maybe it's just that Kevin doesn't have a few that they have ready for him at this second I'm really not quite sure. I'm just starting to wonder how many wrestlers do they have on Raw that are heels because it seems like Selena's crew is in half the matches on every Raw. Yeah, they have had a lot of screen time. (laughs) Uh, Before we do the final segment, and I apologize because it does go with what just happened, but I've got to talk about this real quick. What in the world are they doing with the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits? (laughs) You know, when they did the basketball thing at first, um, I was like, okay, so we're going to have a a match coming in here somewhere, right? No, let's do axe throwing and have the Street Profits show up to – the Viking Raiders hanging out in the park with their boys. I, 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 I honestly, I didn't get it either. Um, but I honestly just want those two tag teams in the ring because they're both excellent. Exactly. Exactly. You have a, you know, the tag team champs who are a team that most people, myself and yourself included, think could be the next big tag team in WWE. You have the Viking Raiders who are without a doubt their biggest challenger because they can't beat them. You have this great storyline, and instead you got them playing basketball, throwing axes. It was corny. It was terrible. Like, you got to do better than this. And Raw was really good, but I was so disappointed when that segment took place. And I will admit that there was a few funny parts in it. But it's just like, this is how you're going to build arguably your best two tag teams on Raw? And you want to talk about, like, legitimacy? Yeah, no, absolutely. But if, if I may, real quickly before we move on, since we are, since we are yeah. talking about the Street Profits, there wouldn't be a Street Profits without crime time. So I want to say, rest in peace, oh, yeah. to Shad Gaspard. You are a hero, my man. Um, I'm so sorry to hear about that story. It is so terrible. There is really there sad. is, and fortunately, they don't have a GoFundMe. They've cre- actually created shirts that uh, you can buy. You can find in the Team Turnbuckle podcast group where you can support the family. So rest in peace, Chad Gaspar. And for those, yeah, I was just gonna say for those that don't know, him and his son basically got taken out to sea at ocean uh, in the ocean where. Uh, you know, the current got him. Thank God his son was recovered. But unfortunately, they they found his body today. And it's just it's a really sad story. And it, it's really amazing when a guy like this who's not as remembered, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people have probably forgot, uh, you know, about him and what he did in WWE. But 
I have never seen so many wrestlers from so many different organizations have nothing but the kindest words uh, to say about him. And it just shows how you don't have to be the top of your industry or your work field to really leave an impression on people. And I just obviously am praying for his family. As am I. So like we said, Theory was laid out and he was actually laid out after that match at ringside. So we then have the Buddy Murphy versus Aleister Black match. Rollins and early, or Murphy came to the ring, and Rollins first noticed that Theory was still laid out. Black obviously comes down. He dominates the match early. While at ringside, Seth appears to be talking to Theory. And immediately I'm like, oh, my God, is he going to make him a disciple? Uh, Theory would then attack Black, leading to a DQ for Buddy. The show would end when Seth gave Theory a giant, giant hug for his actions. Basically, you know, saying welcome to the club. And Theory, Seth, and Buddy Murphy would stand tall at the end of this episode. I love this. I saw on Twitter that, and and it does remind me of it, when Triple H got paired with Batista, and Randy Orton, who were two very young, very raw guys with all the talent in the world. And Triple H was the guy that had done it all and, you know, was at the top of his game. This is a lot like that. Seth Rollins is at the top of his game. He's done it all. And they're putting two guys who have a ton of talent. And I've been impressed with Buddy Murphy, uh, you know, during his time as a disciple with his facial expressions, the, the few times he's talked, he gets it. And I know people just think the world of theory. What do you think about this? I'm actually excited because, um, like I had said last week, I'm not all that familiar, but a lot of people are very high on Austin Theory. And the way they laid it out, I was absolutely floored with. Like you saw Seth just at first. At first I was wondering, is Buddy getting the jealous look? And it's like, no. He went into his classic acolyte pose, had his hands clasped in front of him as Seth is just staring down and inviting him. And then he turns back and looks at, looks at Buddy and like, we've got another. And I am actually, yeah, Seth is putting on phenomenal work. And I imagine he's going to help elevate these two young studs. Buddy Murphy, I've already been with and yes you're right has been putting in, in even more impressive work since joining uh, the messiah so i'm really excited about how they're going to push forward with this and hopefully we'll see something of austin theory to show us why everybody's so high on him and i mean just to remind people if you haven't watched some of the great documentaries that they have on wwe right now and the ruthless aggression one triple h was just talking about you know, when you're in a stable, uh, obviously traveling, which they're not really doing right now, you ride in the same car typically, but also backstage, you're just always together. So these two guys are going to get to pick Seth Rollins' blunt brain. And Seth just seems like the kind of guy that is more than willing, you know, to teach and give advice to younger superstars. So if I was, you know, Buddy Murphy and Austin Theory, I would just be over the moon at the situation I was in. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and they just got finished saying, I mean, Theory's only 22 years old and you're getting put with one of the best of the best. Bro, you're in a really fantastic position. So one more thing before we get out of here, because we're trying to keep these, you know, under an hour. We're, 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 we're pushing a little bit here, but I have watched the first two episodes of The Last Ride. Have you? I have not. I actually just caught up last Dude, night on you Dark have Got to. You have got to. It is so good. Uh, so we won't go into We'll talk about the actual documentary on the next De- uh, Raw and SmackDown episode. But I will tell you that if you don't think Vince McMahon, The Undertaker, and WWE are pissed off about the last dance, because the more I thought about it, this documentary started, the camera started following him in 2017. Its release date has been what it was. For mm. The last dance got moved up 10 weeks. So I saw a ton of articles calling the last ride. Is it wrestling's last dance? And it's like, no, we had this idea first. 
and you guys kind of made it at the same time and then released yours early. And I could just see Vince McMahon and his Vince McMahon voice, you know, like, you know, Austin, <laughs> you know, just being so upset that these two things, you know, are so, you know, similar, even in the names, uh, but it's really good. So if like right now, you have not checked it out yet. There's two episodes are each about an hour. Both of the first two were fantastic. I am shocked at the access you get to Undertaker, Michelle McCool, Vince McMahon. It is really must watch if you're a huge wrestling fan. Gotcha. And also for wrestling fans, like I said, I, I've just caught up on Dark Side of the Ring last night um, with both the Road Warriors. And then I just, just said, you know, just put the nail in my coffin and watched Owens right behind it. Um, you, could, you could ask my girlfriend. I was sitting here and I was a sobbing fool watching. Is that true TV? Uh, Vice. That's on what channel is that? Yes. Vice. I got to see if I um, have if you, Vice. If you uh, don't, I know but, it's readily uh, available on YouTube as well. Okay, great. Uh, do you want to plug anything before we get out of here? Because we still did good. We just yeah, we just hit the fifty minute mark. I'm proud of us, man. We're we're working it. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, HarvestCreditors.com. You can reach me at Ronell Tinsley on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, our goal is twenty thousand families in twenty thousand homes in twenty twenty. If you need help with getting your credit fixed, uh, come and talk. Come and talk to me. Uh, And just again, I want to remind everyone that the IBS podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Uh, If you are subscribed to that network, you would have seen that myself and Alan, the host of the Backdoor Cover, did a Last Dance documentary review podcast on Sunday night or Monday night. Sorry, all the days run together. And then we actually broke down at the end of it, the Tiger and Phil match number two, gave some of our favorite bets for that. But we, again, would like you to subscribe to the IB Network. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate and review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can join the Facebook group, which has over 4,000 members. And um, we will be back in a few days reviewing AEW and NXT. But for Ron L. and Keith Fleming, this has been the Team Turnbuckle Raw and SmackDown edition. We'll see you.